0: Welcome to the Militant Grind podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest, a phenomenal woman. She has a lot of strengths, overcame a lot of weaknesses. I have author, uh, keynote speaker, board member, executive. Oh, my God. What else? What else should I say? (laughs) You know, so I have Victoria Peltier.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: No problem. No problem. Thank you for coming, um, you know, taking time out of your day to speak with us and to give us your journey on how you became the person that you are today. Um, it's very interesting. And I definitely would like to start from the beginning, you know, your childhood, um, how that was and, you know, the childhood with your biological mother.
1: Yeah, it. Um, I'll try and make it short because I know your listeners don't want to, you know, sit here for hours. Um, uh, <laughs> I uh, I actually share my origin story um, pretty openly now because it's a big part of my why to, mm-hmm. you know, quote Simon Sinek, um, in terms of where my drive comes from, my um, unstoppable, no excuses kind of philosophy for life. So I'm, I was born to a drug addicted teenage mother who was exceptionally abusive to me, pushed me upstairs, downstairs, accidentally had to put a cigarette on my eye or a patch for months. I was, so I was in and out of the child welfare system the first few years, thankfully um, I was given up for adoption and into a loving home, but the parents that adopted me um, lower socioeconomic status. Uh, so although I never had, you know, food insecurity or housing, there wasn't much money beyond that. So no vacations didn't get to go on school, um, trips, those kinds of things, but that's my why. And that I became determined to be better than my biology or the circumstance in which I was raised. So I remember my mom and my mom is the woman that raised me said to me, I think I was like 11 or 12 years old. She said to me, Tori, you need to do better than us. And she meant by education, from a vocation standpoint, uh, but I'll tell you, she didn't need to say those words to me because I was determined I was going to be better. So that's where I pushed myself. So I started working at age 11 to buy the things that the extra stuff that my parents didn't have you know, money for. And by 14, I then became the assistant manager of the shoe store that I worked at. I, um, I was uh, I graduated a couple of years early. So at 16, I graduated, went to university and started working in a bank and got promoted up through the ranks. Uh, and I had best intentions of being a lawyer. But I actually really loved the business world. Uh, and then I got recruited out of that world to be the COO at age 24 of uh, an outsourced contact center uh, company um, because I'd been running large call centers for the banks that I was working at. Um, and my career from there is just kind of taken off. Uh, and so that's that's the shortest version I could do of, uh-huh. of where I am now.
0: Right. So what gave you that drive as like a little girl dealing with all of that trauma to, you know, just go for more and take matters into your own hands?
1: I, um, I, I, I don't know if I had the words then, like, I just, I, I think I, I I learned and I was an incredibly resilient young child, not Mm -hmm. maybe always in the most healthy ways, you know, putting walls up to protect myself is not a healthy way of being resilient, but I continued Mm to have um, you know, I was ostracized because I hit my height so early by, you know, age 10, I was taller than my teacher, like I'm the middle row of the back of every school photo. Um, and it wasn't until I skipped a couple of grades that I finally even out with everyone and, you know, and uh, height wise to being gifted, all of these sorts of things. I was just like, I'm going to, I was sort of like the sense of, I'm going to prove to the world that I am better than all of this stuff that just keeps coming my way. Mm -hmm. Um, I I wanted more and better and different for myself. And so, like I said, yes, walls were built up early on to be resilient. And I just kept, you know, plowing through what came in front of me. That said, my mom did something I hated as a teenager, but I deeply, deeply thank her for today, which was to sit me down for hours sometimes to be really self-aware and self-reflective why mm-hmm. am I acting out the way I'm, I'm acting? In many cases, I even pushed them away. I think I was always, I you know, fear of rejection was a big one for me, given what happened with my biological mother and the circumstance mm-hmm. uh, and insecurity. And and I didn't feel I was worthy or good enough. And so her sitting me down when moments would happen to talk through for hours, why I had the feelings I was, you know, having and trying to process and, and work through that, that I, I wasn't as good as implementing all of that until I was older, but now that's a, a fundamental part of how I define this healthy way of being resilient,
0: wow.
1: have a, have a goal, you know, or objective that you anchor on be incredibly self-reflective and self aware, and then build an action plan that includes modeling the actions, behavior, the thought process processes to get you where you want to get to. And mm-hmm. then last also giving yourself permission to fail.
0: Wow. I mean, that's that's very interesting because usually, you know, it takes people a lot longer to get over the traumatic things that happen to them, especially when it's the same things that happen to you. You know, for you to get over it at such a, you know, young age, is kind of, it's very commendable. You know, it takes people years if they can get over that, you know?
1: Yeah. And I'd say, um, it it, it did. I I think it, it impacted me in my relationships, my personal relationships for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I made some poor choices in partners, um, going back to, am I worthy enough? Uh, you know, and what did I need at the time? So I think even I equated, sex with love, um, you know, quite frankly, and I wanted to feel wanted. And right. so I put myself in precarious, you know, uh, positions. I, I was raped as a teenager and I will never victim blame, but I put myself in poor situations right. because I wanted the attention and those sorts of things. So from that to partners that were either, controlling. I had one who was abusive and, and it wasn't until I believed in myself and I gained confidence. And so mm-hmm. that actually came many years later, I actually right. demonstrated my confidence, um, and was succeeding much more professionally than I was personally. Um, because I felt like I wore a mask at work, mm-hmm. but then when it came to my personal life, so it, 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 it didn't change overnight. And I think I continued to feel it and like, and be hindered by it into my 20s. And uh, my first marriage um, that I left after 11 years at 33 was a pivotal moment for me in saying, this is what I want. This is what I deserve. And I'm going to make a choice. And from then on, it's been vastly different. So it didn't happen overnight. I don't want your listeners to think um, (laughs) um, that it did. It's a long road to get where I am. uh, But there were, but you know, progress is one foot in front of the other as well. So each day, it got better to the point where you know, many, many years later, I can stand confidently here, you know, in front of your listeners today and saying, like, I think I've developed a strong level of resilience Mm -hmm. and healthy relationships, um, healthy in terms of who I am and how I show up, you know, in the workplace and as a leader. um, But it wasn't overnight.
0: Right, right. And oftentimes, a lot of us, we look at the outside successes and think that, you know, everything must be okay on the inside. And it's crazy. I just watched a, uh, a documentary by the gospel singer Kirk Franklin, and he's motivated me through his music through a lot of tough times. But he was very, very troubled, even as a 54 year old man, you know, and it was kind of kind of amazing. I'm like, wow, there are some things, you know, like I, t- I think that we often forget that some people are just human. You know, and they have their own stuff that they have to deal with. No matter if they drive a fancy car or have a nice house or have a family, et cetera, You know.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think I um I, I was a little bit like the way you described. So for me, I think in part because I didn't, I came from humble beginnings and didn't have tons of money. Mm-hmm. That for me, success, a, a lot had to do with material wealth. You know, right. I needed to get a bit, the bigger and bigger house and the you know better luxury vehicle to show to the rest of the world that I've made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then was unhappy, um, still again, in not being fully fulfilled in relationships I, I had, or even just the way I felt. And it, um, I had a couple of moments for me. Um, so I, um, I, I said, I got divorced from, you know, from, from my ex after, you know, 11 years being together and two children together, one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made um my ex batt- died from cancer shortly thereafter um, oh, wow. it actually it, it, it first time was when i was pregnant with my younger one um mm-hmm. and then it reappeared shortly after we separated and that just had this moment for me too around what what's important and family's always been deeply deeply important to me but mm-hmm. our health and the way i view what makes me happy what brings me joy and it was when i got to that point in that realization i started to shed a lot of the material stuff. Don't get me wrong. I still have some luxury brands that I really (laughs) love. And, you know, I got my, you know, Christian Dior bag or Louis Vuitton, whatever, but, uh, but I, 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 by choice, I don't have a vehicle anymore. And, you know, and um, I don't have the same size home that I used to have. And so um, it, again, I just think this goes back to, you know, happy, like my, my mom actually used to joke. She'd say, you know, Tori, money doesn't buy happiness, but it makes one hell of a down payment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Which I I love, but that material stuff isn't ultimately what, what really makes us, makes us happy. And so I needed to also rationalize around what success really means. And so I've told my children the same thing and they've grown, Mm -hmm. grown up in a much more privileged life. And I'm like, you will define what success looks like for yourselves. Right. I tell them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, but I also feel that we don't actually know that money uh, doesn't bring happiness until we actually make the money. (laughs) you know like you have to make it first and then you're gonna be like oh well because i ended up you know i had a very successful business and then i discovered like i really don't like too many things you know i'm a pretty simple person you know i don't i'm not like very extravagant like that like i like you know as long as i'm living cool driving a decent car eating good food i'm okay you know it's not it doesn't take much to please me but i had to find that within myself and so I want to talk about, um, how you actually found ways to love yourself through self-love.
1: It, um, as I said earlier, I mean, it was, it was many years to, to get there Mm -hmm. and, um, stumbling blocks along the way. I, I actually think my professional, um, trajectory and success helped me personally because I could lean into, I I had, I, I don't love the phrase imposter syndrome, but at 24, when I stepped into a COO role, um, with a, it was five, five or 6,000 person organization, mm-hmm. it was a really big stretch role for me. Wow. Um, and I met a lot of the, you know, you know, experience and skills that they were looking for industry experience, but there was a lot I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I, I didn't feel like I belonged there. Uh, and over time, and so I was there for a couple of years and then moved to another company. And as I progressed, I started to be able to feel more confident in my work, my work performance. And I started to learn how to um, to tell the story of even where I might not have met. And it's funny, there's this there, there's data that shows women typically don't apply for jobs unless they believe they meet like nine or 10 out of the 10 requisite skills listed
0: Mm. men
1: will do it with five or six Mm. Um, i always actually sort of showed up with the confidence even if it was fake it till you make it and so i I put myself out there if i only had six of the uh, of the skills um but i learned how to talk about the experience that i'd had in a different setting
0: um, Mm. and
1: what i delivered there how tangentially it was connected to what they might have thought was missing and so my ability because i've navigated through many, many companies. I've also been a part of 18 mergers and acquisitions in the companies I worked for and often leading a lot of those. Um, that's got me very, very good from a career perspective at learning um storytelling and learning how to think about my experience, my performance in a very different way. And it gave me confidence mm-hmm. uh, professionally. I think some of that confidence professionally then bled over just into personally. And it in large part I also think Sherman because I I identified a lot of my my whole identity was wrapped up in what I did for work and how I made right. money. Mm-hmm. Um, rightfully or wrongfully so, but it did. And so that helped me also personally think, well, I am worth more. And by the way, the way I build relationships with people and lead people and my commitment to things like diversity and inclusion and creating better workplaces and culture is who I am fundamentally as a human. So it started to just give me all of this um, confidence in who I was and believing that, um, I, um, I, I deserved more. And I started to love who, who I was, you know, warts and imperfections and all, it didn't mean I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, try to work to improve some of those things, but it was all of that that just caused me to love the woman that stared back at me in the mirror when I I used to not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You had something to steam the dream. And I feel like that's very important. That's 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 very good. Very fortunate. A very fortunate thing to have. Um, so talking about diversity and inclusion, let's go to some of the ways you felt discrimination as a woman working at these companies.
1: Uh, um, <laughs> well, there's uh, so I faced a, a lot uh, in that. Again, take that first role. I was the only female executive mm-hmm. I was the youngest by two decades. And just, you know, I came out as queer as a teenager, as bisexual. And, um, I actually, my first marriage was to a woman. I'm now married to a man. And so mm-hmm. I felt like I was the only, um, in, in many of the rooms that I sat in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's actually a big part of where my focus, um, and advocacy work around DEI comes from. Uh, but I've seen it manifest in so many different ways. Um, you know, In the words that are used to describe me as a female leader, um, I've been called a bitch more than once, uh, I'm being called aggressive versus assertive with my male colleagues. I actually, um, I published an article a week or two ago in that I was interviewing at a, a new company and the um, executive recruiter told me that the CEO of this other company did a little unofficial background checking on me because we both worked at one of the one company not at the same time and mm. someone had described me as driven and feisty and the recruiter said i'm not sure if that was intended like positively or negatively he said the good mm. news is the ceo thinks it's amazing um, i suspect because i think i know where the source was um, that it was intended negatively and this right. is because I I'm a strong advocate for doing the right thing, um, and advocating for our clients, the business, employees, and for myself.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think those qualities in men are applauded and called something different.
0: Right. And
1: so I've had to you know deal with that to just um you know walking a, a few years ago, and um, I, I don't generally name names, but I don't think I'm breaking any confidences here. I work for IBM. Uh, and I was leading a large strategy session. It was myself, one other woman and 40, four, zero men in Mm. the room. And so talk about like, you know, feeling like the only, I'm sure you as a black man can feel that sometimes walking into rooms as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. All the time. (laughs) It It takes a lot to build yourself up to being like, okay, everything's okay. You know what I mean? But yeah, you definitely feel pressure for sure.
1: But I also felt pressure, by the way, in in an opposite way. So I, many women self select themselves out of senior leadership roles mm-hmm. because they um, decide to become parents and they bear yeah. more the burden. So I, I had, I, was, I, I just, I had things. So one of my my first child, I, um, I so I'm originally from Canada. You might have heard that when I say out and about. That those <laughs> of you that will, will give me away. Um, although I've lived in the U S for, for a while. And, um, so there was, uh, six months maternity leave when I gave birth to my first later, it was changed to a year, the mm-hmm. A Canada. Um, but, um, I went back to work after just a few months. And when I had my second, I was like, I'm not even really taking any mat leave at all. Um, right. she just was six born... weeks, right? Um, well, so my, my ex had cancer the first, first time when I was pregnant with my second. So it was also that my ex was home you know, with chemo and one of us needed to be working. So in part, that was part of the decision, mm, but okay. I was released the same day from the hospital as I gave birth to my younger one. Uh, and then when she was sleeping, I went online and worked later that night and people were like, what the hell would you say that to a man? Um, you know, if, and then I went, was back working within a couple of weeks. Wow. Um, that was my choice. So I'm a little yeah. bit of a, I say say, not as I do, but people made me feel guilty for that. But that was my choice as a mother mm-hmm. and I had a spouse who was at home. And by the way, a nanny who could help take care because both Max was sick and you know, two young children at home. And so, but again, that was my choice. And people looked down at me with disdain. And a couple of years later, I spent 220 days traveling for work one year. That's how wow. many work. That's how many working days there are in a year, which would tell you I didn't even take vacation. Right. But again, my choice, but I don't, hear my male counterparts being questioned when they choose to work the same kind of schedule that I do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's also not the norm too. I know if that happened with me, I'd be like, look, I don't know how we're going to do it because I'm, you know, I'm not like a nurturer like that, you know? So yeah, but I I also feel that as long as someone is able to handle it, then, you know, it's okay. But then I have watched a uh, documentary about a woman who traveled doing photography and later on, she kind of regretted it because she didn't spend as much time with her children. So is there any way you kind of like make up for that or. Yeah. You know,
1: I'm so for me, I, I hate being asked the question like, um, about work-life balance for me, it's all life and it's Mm. integrating all of these pieces together and you have it all. Yes not always at the same time. And that doesn't come without compromise and trade-offs at time. Yeah. So I I worked very soon after my daughter was born, in part because my ex-wife was at home with cancer. And so there was a need for one of us to be working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I was needed at work. I, worked, I spent 220 days on the road when the younger one was two and my older one was six. But when my ex-wife passed away, um, what will be 10, 10 years ago next month. Um, I was in a job that also had me traveling on the road pretty significantly. And I was single at the time. I met my husband, um, you know, it'll be 10 years this December. I met him a couple months after she passed away. Um, and, um, I w- made a career decision. I quit a job that I loved because it had me on the road, something like 15 to 18 days a month. Mm-hmm. My children only had one parent now, and I have no extended family. Right. So I made a decision to move back to. I was splitting my time between Toronto and New York, um, and I moved back to Toronto where my children were full time because uh, I was commuting for work um, into a role that I didn't enjoy as much. It had wasn't as challenging and it didn't have as broad of scope or responsibility for me, but it kept me and my children in our hometown, traveling less than ten percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do I have regrets that I worked? Very quickly after my children were born and I traveled extensively when they were young. No, but when it really mattered, I made the decision for my family and I spent time and I had, my ex used to be the hockey coach of their teams. I became the hockey coach (laughs) Uh, and I made, that was like 20 extra hours a week driving to sitting in hockey arenas. Um, But um, my children, I hope will always remember that, I was there for them when they needed me the most in the most pivotal moments Mm -hmm. of their lives.
0: Yeah, and and that's a whole different circumstance. I feel like you had one of the most powerful whys, but then it's like, you kind of don't have a choice. But then after a while, you were like, okay, this isn't for me due to me being a mother. I need to find a different route. So it's it's totally different. I do tell people often that everything is a case-by-case basis. And this is why we need to hear someone's story you know, or talk to them or reach out or, you know, ask them like, Hey, how do you feel about this before we judge, you know? And that's why I asked you the question because a lot of people could just hear, you know, you traveled a lot and then like, okay, you know what I mean? Like without knowing the underlying story of why.
1: Right. Yeah. So I think it's, it's so important to try and learn people's lived experience. And I think it's why diversity is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, bring together all the different elements and intersectionality of diversity and the lived experience that we all have it just creates this richness around us
0: yeah it definitely does and I feel like that also limits people being uh, discriminated against because that's that's just a form of ignorance you know it's like we have this wall up about other people based off of what we've been told not actually like talking to them, living with them, being with them. So I'm against like all discrimination of of any kind, you know, I'm like, until you actually walk and talk with the people and understand things from their point of view or their perspective, you really can't judge or put a mark on them. I can't say all people are like this or these people are like, these people are this way because everybody is unique. It's a scientific fact that everyone is different than anyone else that ever existed. You know, so we have to take things into, you know, things into account and this, everything, like I said before, everything is a case by case basis for sure. Yeah, for sure. And so what is your primary focus now being a wife and being a keynote speaker and a mother, you know, like in what ways, I know you said there's no such thing as a work life balance, but in what ways do you balance all of these things that you do?
1: I I have this thing where there's conviction, there is capacity. Hmm. And so for the things that I have the greatest amount of conviction for, I find the time I create the capacity to be involved. Um, And that doesn't come without um, needing to be extremely disciplined Mm -hmm. uh, and also learning that the things that don't, aren't bringing you personal or professional joy or value, you need to say no to, or you delegate or you outsource. Right. So for, for me doing it all and for all the things that I'm involved in, sitting you know, wife, mother, you know, corporate executive speaker, sitting on boards, I'm currently authoring another two books, all of those things. Um, it means like, I, am Oh, fit, fitness fanatic. I work out every morning. Um, and so the discipline is that I have to be in bed by 9 30 or 10 o'clock each night mm-hmm. or I'm gonna be too tired to get up and work in the morning. Yeah. And so we have we have choice. So I, you know, I sign a lot of my social media posts with either hashtag unstoppable. Um, and actually I should say now or and no excuses is the other one. Like we we have a choice here. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you stay in Netflix all night and be too right. tired to have to go to the gym in the morning?
0: Right. Uh and,
1: um, th- that's how I choose to you know create the capacity for the things in which I have conviction for and then as I said I say no to a lot of things um or I delegate or I outsource
0: mm-hmm. you sound like a uh, Brian Tracy fan I don't
1: I, I don't know who that is
0: Brian Tracy the author oh no, I just read I it oh, okay.
1: go and look up now
0: because <laughs> he has a book called no excuses that changed my life and then he also has a book uh, called a focal point that I just finished reading when he said some, you know, when you get too busy, you have to learn how to delegate and outsource your work to other people, you know? And so you said like both of those things within the same. Uh, oh, well,
1: you know. given that it's, it's the title's no excuses. I'm surprised. I don't know that book. So <laughs> we'll be looking it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, cause You know, they ask me, I often get asked, have I seen this show or have you finished watching this? Or, you know, my sister suggested a show for me to watch last night. And I'm like, I really have no capacity to watch anything unless it's like a one part, you know, documentary. I I just can't watch it. And then when I start to watch it, I fall asleep because my mind just isn't there. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's pretty interesting. So we all have choices and we all definitely have to you know, stick with things that align with our goals.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I want to talk about you being a uh, keynote speaker. Where did that actually stem from? So, (laughs) yeah. So it's like you, I feel like now do you have like a, a, a sense of like responsibility to help people, you know, that came through the, the traumatic experience that you came through and just, you know, the way you achieved who you are. Do you feel like, OK, now I have to give back and, you know, just let my story be known, let other women, let other people know that they could also do it, too, that they could also be something, too. And we are not, you know, like our circumstances or the traumas that we've been through.
1: Yeah, that's that's a a big a big part of it. Uh, so I I've been speaking for over twenty years, but it was in part for initially it was purely for business purposes, right? Mm-hmm. My company was sponsoring a conference, and we were given a slot to speak, and so I would go and do it. So it was almost exclusively from a subject matter expertise or industry perspective. And then um, I've spent a lot of time coaching and mentoring you know, within the workplace um, and both formally and informally. And I started to, as I gained confidence, I didn't, I I wouldn't have always shared my story quite so openly. Uh, But then as I was coaching and mentoring people and they wanted to understand how did I get to where I got to, where does the drive come from? As I said to you, I, 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 I can't, I can't tell you that if I don't actually tell you my origin story, if I don't tell you my why, what I've learned, how I've applied. And then there's, there's other things beyond that, you know, that I would share around things like personal Brown, uh, personal branding, a creation of boundaries, some of which we've, we've talked about, like spent, you know, sponsorship, mentorship. So I'm, you know, sharing those things. And then I started to be asked to share them on larger and larger stages or platforms. And then it just, energized me so much. I, I actually, I've been asked many times what I want to be a, uh, a keynote speaker is full-time. If that's all I did give up my corporate day job. And the answer is no. Cause I think if I was doing it 100% of the time as my, um, as my job, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. I am energized standing on stages or, or zoom, sadly, we you know, when the pandemic hit and all I did a video, I, I right. much prefer to do it in person, um, to see that I've helped people. I've moved people. A big mm-hmm. part of my brand is, you know, the legacy I want to leave is, you know, being, um, you know, making this world a better place for, uh, you know, period, um, and the enriching the lives and helping it as many people, you know, as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And if that is sharing my story, my trauma, the lessons I've learned, the failures I've had, and what have I learned from those and, in and, and helping it all, whether it's, educating people and giving them action actionable insight um or even just knowing that they're not alone right. um then, then I will have felt like you know I, I I will have achieved something as it relates to that impact and legacy that I want to have
0: hmm. wow well that's a that's a very good thing and also um speaking of that I want to talk about the uh the power of vulnerability okay. like how that has actually <laughs> How that has actually like helped you in um in your journey being vulnerable
1: I um it, it it's helped me significantly in being a better leader uh and um deepening of like the connections and relationships that I've had so I um I, I didn't always um like get it right I had a horrible nickname that I learned I, I found I had at work um it was the Iron Maiden. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and you <laughs> the know, like I'm, or... I, yeah, so I, I, have some good nicknames, you know, uh-huh. the turn on queen more recently, they call me the CEO whisperer. Um, but the iron maiden, um, was because I am really effective at like, you know, ensuring profitable growth for businesses, taking distressed businesses, turning them around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means making some really difficult decisions, but it pains me deeply to do that when I impact someone's livelihood. And so I'm very comfortable at managing performance. I've always operated with radical candor to quote Kim Scott around giving you really direct feedback, but doing it from a place of care and compassion and wanting to see progress and and helping someone move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never showed the emotion because I was, I I was fearful. Um, I didn't, whether I, you know, as a woman in business, I'm not going to show you I've got emotion. I don't want to hear the names and you think I'm soft and I'm not going to be able to be. So I would never, I've shown emotion or vulnerability. And that's in large part, I think what got me that nickname. And so I was like, that is not who I am at all. Mm-hmm. Um, My best friend has nicknamed me the turtle. Um, And that's because I do have this tough exterior. I have incredible resilience and I can shoulder and handle a lot, but I'm still all marshmallow and soft inside. Wow. Um, And I never let anyone see that. And so when I started to open up, when I started to talk more around my experience, when I started to say things like, I don't know what I don't know, um, and it hurts me to do this, or even being more transparent in decision-making process, when mm. I started to do that, be vulnerable, be much more authentic in how I showed up, I started to build Followership. Before people would have feared me because I was their boss and I told them and gave them a direction. Mm-hmm. But the shift to people who want to follow me through the proverbial fire because we now have a true like connection and relationship, and they feel I'm invested in them and they can trust me. That came from being vulnerable, wow. and it wasn't wasn't natural. It was not natural. It was not comfortable. But mm-hmm. I truly think that if we do not lean into our discomfort, like progress and and change and growth will not come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of that for sure. And um, one thing I have learned, you know, when you come from a different culture or a different background, or you're a woman, you're a black man, or you're different, you tend to not to go back to imposter syndrome, but you tend to be, try to be like, you know, everyone else in order to fit in. And that allows you like, well, that makes you not be as authentic, as you truly are like you just you know and i feel like over time that could just be a mass that's just difficult to take off you know it's like we can't show our our true you know the true us because we're trying to fit in with them you know so yeah yeah pretty 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 tough thing um and so i have another question so as far as you um you know, like working with being under a board, well, board member, executive, everything like that. What would you tell or like, what do you coach people on, especially like young women when it comes to getting involved in the corporate world or the workplace? Like, so, because you went through the ranks and you are who you are today. So, and I haven't heard you say you had any examples or anyone that inspired you growing up, right? you're right. You right. <laughs> right. So you, you're <laughs> just probably the only p- person I've ever interviewed. That's just like, man, I just started from scratch and I just figured it out on my own. So now you're kind of like a pioneer or a trailblazer for young women, you know, like you. So what would you tell a young woman who's like, okay, I want to be, you know, not like you, but I just want to be, you know, a board member. I want to be good in corporate. I want to be a CEO. What kind of advice would you give them?
1: Oh, uh, how much time do we have? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you I, have some time. I, I think it, it's it's a number of things. Um, so, the the first is, the, you know, you are the CEO of your own career, of your own brand, and so you need you need to control it. I um, know I don't have um, like great mentors or examples. Although what I will actually tell you is, um, there've been examples of people I want to be nothing like. So I'm an avid people watcher, and I'm also a voracious reader and learner. And so it's, I'll say it's self taught. um, But in some cases, it comes from really, really poor examples. And so I have learned a lot, even though there haven't always been great mentors, I've I've looked up to Mm -hmm. what I would tell, you know, those, whether it be young women or others, quite frankly, you know, who aspire to, Whatever their version of success um, is or achievement uh, and a level that they want to um, uh, aspire to, is that one, you need to perform. So I attribute my career success to, yes, my drive, my why for sure, mm-hmm. uh, my resilience, but performing. So be really clear around how success is measured in the organization that you're working for. Mm-hmm. Recognize that um, the world has really shifted to looking at discrete skills and, and they're evolving so quickly. The shelf life of skills is dramatically shortening. Don't expect that your company is going to def- like build that path for you. So be really clear on Where is the business going? Are there new products or services? We all know AI and, you know, machine learning and automation are changing things for us. So what the work that gets left behind is very different. What skills do we need for that? Take charge of like, um, of learning those skills and, um, you know, building new skills for future. Um, and again, how success is measured because what they say the job is, and then how they're going to like rate your performance and and incentivize you can be very different. So that's important. Personal brand is very, very big, uh, and brand you know consists of not just what you do for, like what was your education and what's the job that you're in or mm-hmm. the industry that you work in. It's more than that. Who are is you as a human? Passions, interests, values. What makes you different from other people? And then what's the legacy or the impact you want to leave? Those are the four elements of brand, and people only focus on the first. You need to develop that, and really early on, I tell my 23 and the 19 year old one is now maybe, you know, just on the cusp of that, but by 23 year old, get on LinkedIn. He's like, Oh, that's for old people. I'm like, dude, that's where like, you know, the, the workers are and start to build your brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't expect that someone's going to advocate for you. um, You you know, and so find the people that are going to going to do that for you, find mentors, find sponsors for yourself. Um, And then we talked a little bit around boundaries. So one expansive, how far and wide don't let anyone like hold you back, but then also that whole conviction capacity, um, you know, and discipline around schedules, you know, would be, uh, another. So those are kind of some of the, um, performance, personal brand and the network you build as a result of, uh, the brand, um, and creation of, of boundaries are some of the things that, um, you know, have helped me succeed. And so I'd shared that with young people as they're, you know, newer in their career.
0: Right. Wow. That's I mean, I'll, I'll use some of that for myself because <laughs> um, I actually talk with uh, one of my business partners and I tell him that personal brand is more important than we think. Like he's a commercial broker and, you know, it's like, man, all you have to do is hammer the phones. Well, if you don't have an online resume, if you don't have anything where people could like type in your name and see something of you, it's going to be kind of hard, you know, compared to. You know the the person that is doing that. I mean, people are now speaking on uh on camera now a lot more to get business to market, you know. Like you said, LinkedIn, there's Pinterest, there's all kind of things that we have to do to establish that personal brand. So I'm actually on the way to that, which is why I have this podcast now. <laughs> That's one of the things that I'm working on. So yeah, and then um you are a best-selling author as well. So um, let's just talk about your, your book. So what do you focus on when it comes to you being an author like your books etc uh
1: so i have one co-authored book that came out a number of years ago called unstoppable Ch- mm-hmm. change makers to make a difference i'm the first chapter in that book where um it, it's entitled courage to live so i tell a little bit of the story and some you know some actionable sort of insight for the readers mm-hmm. so that was the first, but i do a ton of writing so i've written for Forbes, a contributor to you know number of, of other magazines, I regularly publish content all of which will align to my br- brand and very connected to the things that I'm known for around leadership, culture, diversity, and inclusion, those, those elements. So I'll write on that. And then i now have two um, books that I'm currently working on that should come out over the next number of months. One of which is around personal brand. It's mm-hmm. one of the key to deliver all the time. So I'm, I'm pu- publishing a book on that. And the second one's going to be around um, leadership, culture and leadership in a new way uh, for us to lead from a very like human heart-centered way, empathetic, authentic leadership.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a big change. <laughs> that's a big change to like how the uh, culture is now. That's amazing. So um, where could people find you? They want to reach you, listen to you talk, et cetera.
1: So the best place is uh, the one-stop shop is my personal website, which is victoria heltiercom A lot of the content I write is found there. Podcasts, media appearances, my keynote speak uh, um, topics, all the book, all of that is found there. But if they prefer to link out to connect with me on various social platforms of LinkedIn or Facebook or Insta, they can do it through there. But what I will say is when you work really effectively on your personal brand, when you Google one's name, unless it's incredibly common, like me, if you Google me, I'm most of um, the first many, many, many pages that come up as well.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I have, a, I have a very, my name is not common at all. So as soon as someone looks me up, I'm right there. Trust me. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, maybe if I was like Michael Johnson or something, I'll be a lot better off.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so in closing, um, I'm going to ask you a question. I ask everyone this question. Uh, when you leave this earth, when it's all said and done, how would you want to impact the world? And what would you want to be known for?
1: So I um, I want to know that I left this world a better place than when I came into it. And by that, it means many, many different things for me. It means helping from a place of generosity and not greed the people that I interact with, whether they be employees or clients, the communities I live in or the world at large. And that's by sharing my story. That's be by providing education and support coaching and mentoring others, advocating, uh, you know, for diversity, uh, Mm. for equal rights period. Uh, it means, you know, having raised two really good humans, um, doing all that, you know, I can for the world that, that is what I want to be known for.
0: That's a great thing to be known for. And I'm glad that you're actually doing the work to be known for that by leaving things behind, by leaving behind books, speeches, videos you know that is that's amazing so you know when that's all said and done when we're at you know when someone thinks about you they can actually see something and feel your presence instead of just looking at pictures you know so kudos to you when it comes to that (laughs) so again um you know i really appreciate your time you know for you coming on sharing your story and sharing it with my listeners as well as the world Uh, i feel like this has been like phenomenal and whenever you come and do a speech in L.A., please let me know. I will be there for sure.
1: <laughs> so are you
0: know. in uh, Toronto now?
1: No, no, I moved. I've been between Toronto and New York the last 20 years. I moved back to New York in 2019, and then I was one of the many New Yorkers who migrated to South Florida in the middle of the pandemic, because I could. Oh,
0: what? I would have did that, too.
1: <laughs> uh, mean, yeah. From
0: Toronto to New York to South Florida, Definitely. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I,
1: I joke with my husband who is actually from a really, really cold part that had one the most snowfall in Canada um, who hates the snow and the cold that he couldn't get any better. I mean, we're down here in Miami beach. And so he's, he's a very happy camper to, you know, he's from Quebec um, uh-huh. so like, where there's, there's n- nowhere better to have escaped the cold than here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm born and raised in LA. So I, I, I'm already known. I'm not with that at all. So <laughs> Pretty interesting. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Looking to connect with you soon um, in any kind of way. And you have a great rest of your night.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome.